Hello and welcome to the Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it is our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hello and how are you, E.C.? I'm great. How are you doing? Fantastic. We are going to talk about something that actually I haven't like in my casual paying attention of the world of health and nutrition. I haven't heard a whole lot about lately, <laughs> but I did often in the early years of CrossFit and that's and that's fish oil and specifically yes. omega threes and sixes and supplementation and all that. It was all the rage when I first started CrossFit with the zone diet and berry sear. So I'm excited to kind of get r- remind myself even what these things are. So yes. uh, as it relates to omega, uh, actually, before we get into that, this is going to be kind of a, a two-parter. We're going to do a sort of conceptual conversation here, kind of big picture stuff. And then we've got... I'm going to call it a version of our quick bites for our next episode, where we're going to get into some questions that listeners had that are a little bit more practical, a little bit more kind of like, what do I do about this on Tuesday type stuff. So as it relates to this subject and kind of this conceptual idea, where do we begin? What's kind of the background? Yeah, it was certainly the supplement of the day, I guess, circa 2010, back in yeah. our old days. It is still a common supplement because I definitely, as you know, don't really recommend supplements. And so people, it's typically fish oil and vitamin D where people are like, wait a minute, what about yeah. these, right? So, of course, this episode is to try to untangle why I don't recommend it. There's kind of a lot of layers to the story of why fish oil has been recommended. And it kind of goes something along the lines of, hey, during paleo times, paleo ancestor times, when people ate all the whole unprocessed foods, the ratio of omega-6 fats to omega-3 fats in their diet was something like three to one or even down to two to one. And now in our Western diet, it's much higher, 10 to one. Sometimes you'll even see these estimates of 25 to one. And this is considered problematic because it's the omega-6 fats that are known as the inflammatory fats and omega-3 fats that are known as the anti-inflammatory ones. And so it's this increased supposedly ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fats in the diet that makes it inflammatory and therefore drives all this systemic inflammation that's associated with our chronic diseases like obesity and diabetes and, and cardiovascular disease. So the idea here is we take fish oil high in omega threes to quote, like balance out this ratio, Mm -hmm. making our diet less inflammatory and decrease the risk of these diseases. There's a bunch of problems with this story. (laughs) It's a little bit oversimplified. And so we first have to kind of take apart this physiological rationale. And then also more importantly, in my opinion, look at what happens to humans in terms of kind of death and disease when people actually go ahead and consume these omega-3 and omega-6 supplements. And I think people are going to be generally underwhelmed at the evidence. And I Mm. I just ask that people kind of keep an open mind because again, I think there's a lot of dogma surrounding fish oil and even surrounding veggie oil, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And if that, if we can kind of see that fruit is not just fructose, that there's a Mm. bigger context there, we should also be able to understand how fish oil is not maybe or omega six or omega three specifically is not quite the savior that, that we think it is. Before we kind of get more into that story, I think it would make sense. It certainly would make sense for me if we can just even get a, a better sense of some context around like omega threes and, and omega sixes and even like fat, generally speaking, just so that we're all kind of on the same page or at least as much as we can be on the same page. Like what about that matters that, for us to understand that story that you that you mentioned? 
Totally. I mean, I think we just go right away to like omega six fats are bad, and it's like, yeah. okay, do do we know <laughs> what omega six fats are? <laughs> and so, I, yeah, I want to kind of go through the names and classifications of fat, and I think it can be hard to keep straight. And so, I actually do have a simple graphic of this sort of classification scheme in the show notes, and that if you are able to look at content while or look at something while you're listening to this, I encourage you to call that up. So. Here we go. First of all, the chemical structure of fats are carbon molecules with hydrogen molecules and a couple of oxygen molecules at the end. And so we classify these chemical structures of fat into three different ones, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, and saturated, which I'm sure you've heard of. Now, within these three types of fat classifications, there are different kind of subtypes of that type of fat. So there's multiple types of polyunsaturated fats, for example. And across the different three types of fat, we tend to eat about 20 different types of fat that are most common in our diet. Now, the terms omega-6 and omega-3 are ways to classify the subtypes of polyunsaturated fats. And again, that classification of omega-3 and omega-6 is based on their chemical structure. But there are multiple types of omega-6 fats and there are multiple types of omega-3 fats. The main omega-6 players that we hear about all the time are linoleic acid, or I'll also call it LA, and arachidonic acid, which I'll also call AA. And then the omega-3 fats, we've got alpha-linolenic acid, ALA, acosapentaenoic acid, EPA, and docosahexaenoic acid, DHA. Okay. We hear that fat is an essential nutrient and we must obtain it from a diet. That is true. And when we look at what the essential fats are, it's actually one omega-3 fat and one omega-6 fat. ALA and LA. And these mm-hmm. are the ones that can be converted into the longer chain forms of omega-3 and omega-6 fats that would be arachidonic acid would be a longer chain form. And then of course, EPA and DHA. So fish oil is high in these omega-3 types of fats, specifically the longer chain ones that we know are EPA and DHA. ALA is a shorter one. Okay. All of that's great to know the chemistry and to know how to classify them based on that. But, you know, we don't sit down and eat a bowl of LA or EPA. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, ah, I just gotta have a spoonful of EPA right now. I mean, I guess we can with some supplements, but generally when we're looking at food and how it exists in food, we eat food with a mixture of types of fat in it. Mm -hmm. And so when food has fat in it, it is a mixture of monounsaturated polyunsaturated, which again include omega-3s and omega-6s, and saturated fats. There are very few foods that really only have one type of fat in them. Coconut might be the only one that's like all saturated. But many other foods, when you hear that they're high in something, they have other fats present. And so beef is a good example. Everyone knows from the media, you know, beef is so high in saturated fat. But in like an 80% lean ground beef, so not that lean, but whatever. Mm-hmm. There's more monounsaturated fat than there is saturated fat. And then this podcast is about oil, so I wanted to touch on that. You know, I think people are very going to be surprised to hear that canola oil, which is a vegetable oil that people ultimately are like, you know, are often like, you know, we got to eliminate those all the time. Vegetable oils are typically high in omega-6 fats, which again is a type of polyunsaturated fat. Well, canola oil actually happens to be mostly monounsaturated fats. Mm. So 63% of the fat in canola oil is monounsaturated. And then like 28% of it is polyunsaturated and the rest is Mm -hmm. saturated. And of that 28%, that is the polyunsaturated coming from omega-6 and omega-3s, 66% of it is omega-6s and 33% of it is omega-3s. 
And I go through all of that detail because everyone freaks out about canola oil and mm. I used to as well. But here we have a vegetable oil that's predominantly A, a monounsaturated fat and B, when we look at the polyunsaturated fats in it, it actually has this quote magic two to one ratio. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this is where some of it's like, do we really understand how fats are existing in these foods that we might be afraid of? And people worry about canola oil for its processing and all this stuff that we don't have time to go into, but I, it's just talking on the fats there. And then of course, other vegetable oils have different compositions. Yes, some have higher omega-6s and I don't wanna go into it. I do also wanna bring up though the salmon example, cause everyone always mm -hmm. thinks of like salmon, omega-3s, that's it, right? Well, polyunsaturated fats only make up 30% of the fat in fish. And of those polyunsaturated fats, 64% of them are omega-3s, but 36 of them are omega-6s. So here again, <laughs> You know, when you eat salmon, you also are eating omega-6 fats. You're not just getting straight omega-3s. And then, of course, you're also having uh, saturated and monounsaturated in salmon. Mm -hmm. So, again, I just like to really kind of put this in the context of how we eat food, that we don't just sit down and have only LA. We don't just sit down and have only ALA. We can't get so fixated on food of thinking about only one component in it. That's not how it exists. Just like I said before, like fruit isn't just fructose. Soybean oil isn't just omega-6. Salmon isn't just omega-3. There are other fats in there, of course, other macronutrients in there. And then of course, micronutrients as well in the food that determine its overall volume. So it's not just going to be omega-3 that changes in your diet when you add salmon to the diet. And that's sort of my first problem with that. Like, even if salmon was so powerful in kind of a historical diet, maybe mm -hmm. it's because of the mixture of nutrients in it, not just sort of like because they were only getting omega-3 from it. Got it. Okay. So there's two things that you sent me in advance of our chat today that we want to make sure we break apart. So I think now's a good time to at least mention them and start breaking them apart. The, the two things are that ratio that we're talking about, the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. And then the second one is inflammation, which is we haven't really talked about yet today, but we have def definitely done an episode about it. So let's start with the first one, the ratio, the, the ratio between omega-6 and omega-3. Yeah. There's kind of two points I want to bring up about this ratio idea. First of all, we don't know that the paleo diet or the ancestral diet was optimal. It's kind mm. of this false assumption that we have that because they're that their diet choices were the best because they didn't have this chronic disease epidemic. Well, some of the reason why they didn't have the chronic disease epidemic that we do is because they didn't live as long. <laughs> we just don't know what would have happened to them when they if they would have lived into their 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there would be chronic diseases, some of which we see today in, in those populations. Mm -hmm. I think we can say that our ancestors optimized their diet to the best their environment allowed them to, but that doesn't mean it's optimal for us now in all regards. And so that's what science lets us do, the big science, right? It allows us to test these ideas and know an optimal omega-6 to omega-3 ratio has not been yet established. But the real problem I have with the ratio idea is that it does not tell us about quantity. You know, mm -hmm. I can have an ideal quote two to one ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fats and be eating way too much food. Like a, a two to one ratio can be accomplished if I have 200 grams of omega-6 fats and 100 grams of omega-3 fats, that's over 300 total grams of fat. Cause again, we're getting fat from other stuff yep. in our foods. Yep. Okay. That's 300 grams of fat a day. I don't know anybody who's supposed to be eating that, right? So the ratio does not tell us about the dose and the dose relative to the person and their needs. So of course, our listeners already are like, yes, we understand dose, right? Um, we mm -hmm. have to know, is the quantity, is the overall amount appropriate for the individual? And so when we look at the modern diet, 
we can see that the dose of omega-6s or just really fats is too high. And it's often because of omega-6s because those are in vegetable oils, which are then part of mostly any processed foods. So here we have kind of a culture where we're eating too many calories. And on average, those calories are coming, those excess calories are coming from processed foods. And so it's not that we have to add omega-3 to the diet to write this ratio. We have to cut back on overeating calories. And when we do that, for the most part, most people will actually end up reducing omega-6s just by way of the foods they cut out. And so this idea that we're going to fix the solution by adding omega-3s to the diet is is similar in my mind to saying that we're consuming too much sugar, we're consuming too much fructose in our processed foods, so let's go ahead and add more glucose mm. <laughs> to the diet. It's kind of the same idea, like how are we just gonna slap three grams of fish oil on this, <laughs> bring this ratio in line, and everything else about our health is just gonna be okay. So mm -hmm. this ratio idea is just, it's too simple, it's unproven, and it really doesn't give us the context that's going to have any meaningful result for individuals. Okay, so the second part of that, or the second thing we wanted to talk about is inflammation. Yeah. Okay, so fat that we eat can be used for energy or stored really in fat cells to be used for energy later. But when you consume these polyunsaturated fats, they are also in the composition of every cell wall. And they have many different functions there, but one of which they actually are the reservoir for inflammatory or anti-inflammatory signaling molecules. And the composition of polyunsaturated fats in the cell walls mirrors the composition of polyunsaturated fats in the diet. So when you eat more omega-6 fats, yes, you have more omega-6 fats in the cells. Same thing with omega-3. Okay, one of the things that's been oversimplified in kind of this omega-6s are inflammatory and omega-3 is quote anti-inflammatory is that this is not uniformly true that there are in fact anti-inflammatory signals that result from omega-6 fats, that omega-6 is not all just pure inflammation. The second thing, and we talked about this in the exercise as an anti-inflammatory podcast, but I think there's just this dogma out there that inflammation equals bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's more accurate to think about inflammation is the process to get us back to homeostasis. It's the signaling and the action of the immune system to bring us back to normal, so to speak. And it's molecules that tell other cells of this is of the immune system, hey, we've got an issue over here. And then the immune system kind of cells and signaling molecules come in to clear that issue. And at times that's good and other times <laughs> not so good. Now, when is it good? If you had an injury, right? You actually want inflammation so that we're healing that area. Even after exercise, when there are these micro tears, let's say in the muscle, we have to heal that. Inflammatory markers go up after exercise. Clearing a bacterial infection, you're going to want inflammation associated with that to actually get rid of it. Now, the problem in these chronic diseases is that the immune system kind of keeps responding. It doesn't ever resolve itself. And that's largely because the stimulus or the trigger can't be removed. It's not like a bacteria that we can just kill, or it's not like an injury that we just could heal. And so we talked about this again in the exercise as an anti-inflammatory podcast, but one of the main drivers of inflammation is as related to weight is due to the actual change in cell size uh, when storing fat. And so when you eat more than you need, the fat cells store more and more fat. They also grow in size to be able to do that. And they be can become hypoxic lacking oxygen due to their size. And that's then the stimuli for the immune system. You're like, whoa, what's going on over here? So linking this back to what we know about the modern diet and vegetable oils, that eating too much processed food or really eating too much food, but 
it pretty much shakes out that we do it on processed food. That is inflammatory. That is an inflammatory process. It's not the vegetable oil in and of itself. It's that we're eating too much. And usually vegetable oil is a component of that. Another way that inflammation crops up in chronic diseases is diabetes. Diabetes is a disease of energy excess. Basically, there's too much energy calories coming into the system and nowhere to put them. Insulin is released because insulin is trying to get these extra nutrients out of circulation and into storage, but we've kind of run out of storage capacity, and this is how we develop insulin resistance. And it's this insulin resistance that triggers the immune system, again, meaning inflammation occurs, because the normal response isn't working. We're trying to store this stuff. We can't. And it's not going to go away. That trigger is not going to go away because we continue to have too much, too much excess energy coming in, and therefore the inflammation continues. One more here on kind of mechanistic details about cardiovascular disease. And, and to be honest, I'm, we're going to have to save the details of this a little bit more for our saturated fat and cholesterol podcast. But essentially, there's a prolonged immune response related to the damage of an artery wall that can be influenced by diet. And we also see obesity associated with cardiovascular disease. So it turns out that that inflammatory signaling of the excess weight that we described before could be part of this kind of systemic inflammation that's perpetuating a chronic inflammatory response in cardiovascular disease. Okay. That's a lot of kind of detail there, but the point is like, if you have a tablespoon of cooking oil, that's high in omega-6 fats, it's not that poof. Now you have chronic disease and inflammation. It's that the diet in its entirety, the total dose, the total quantity is a big driver in inflammation and potentially the systemic inflammation. Eating more than your body needs, as we've talked about before, is a problem. The body does not have anywhere to put all these largely carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen molecules. And so the immune system is responding in these cases, okay, what can we do here? We got to fix this situation, right? And and really the fix is is not fish oil. (laughs) The fix is to eat less. Mm. And again, so in light of kind of our processed diet full of these refined carbohydrates and vegetable oils, when people cut out or back on these foods, they tend to reduce their carbs, they tend to reduce their vegetable oils, they tend to reduce their total quantity, and that's, that is what is anti-inflammatory. And we see this all the time. Weight loss is anti-inflammatory regardless of the diet that people follow. This reminds me a little bit, we did an episode on some strategies that you have for eating out. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you talked about in that episode was, which I think about a lot now, it's like the 1500 calorie salad, right? And, but one of the things we talked about in that is, is the, are the oils that are used often when you go out to eat and all these things. Th- those are related to me or in my mind, mm-hmm. or maybe that's a better question to you is, is that sort of another way to look at everything that we've talked about here, or at least think about this in kind of a real world situation where the issue might not be yeah, they're using canola oil to cook whatever you're cooking because that's cheaper for them because it makes it taste better, all these things. Maybe that's part of the issue, but really the issue is that when they put that salad down or that burger down or that steak, you're getting 1,500 calories in it, 2,000 calories in one in one fell swoop. Exactly. That's exactly the problem. You know, I think we focus on these individual components and not see the whole picture. We don't mm-hmm. see that we just ate a 1500 calorie salad. We say that we eat canola oil and it's like, no, 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 <laughs> it was a 1500 calories. That That's what's really out of whack here. And so that that is the problem, 100%. Okay, so let's dive into what is clear to me that you've looked at, which is the research. What does the research say about maybe this ratio or about adding omega-3s or omega-6s to the diet? This is sort of the great thing about research is I can be completely wrong on all that inflammation discussion. (laughs) (laughs) And it's one of the reasons I don't love going through all those mechanisms. It's like there are so many different potential mechanisms and so many different ways that it can go in terms of the physiology that it's like 
oh my gosh, yeah, I probably am wrong on a lot of it, <laughs> or at least not to the level of precision that the experts truly know. And so it's like, okay, fine, let me be wrong on that. Let's go ahead and look at the research. What actually happens to people in terms of death and disease when we supplement with omega-3 and omega-6? So let's go mm. ahead and start with omega-3. And again, when people ask kind of just about omega-3s generally, it's like, we have to remember that we have to look at the research for each individual condition. We can't just assume that because it may or may not be good for cardiovascular disease, that that tells us anything about diabetes or cancer or depression or whatever, cognitive function. And so right now we're going to look at cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and cancer, just because those are kind of, kind of our leading chronic diseases. I'm not going to take a look at obesity. I think that just intuitively would be a silly idea that somehow adding calories to the diet is going to somehow mm. f <laughs> fix the obesity thing. So we're just going to say that that doesn't work. Now, our audience knows I like these articles that are review articles that pull together research from lots of different studies. And there has been a good amount of research on omega-3s and omega-6s. Thankfully, both of them have what's known as a Cochrane review, Cochrane systematic review, and specifically rated, related to cardiovascular disease, which is our number one killer. Now, Cochrane is a British international charitable organization that is formed to organize medical research findings to help kind of facilitate evidence-based practical recommendations about how to prevent disease, how to treat disease. They're an independent group. They're made up of volunteer experts. And what is known about Cochrane reviews is that they're very, very stringent on what is the quality of data, what should we include, and what conclusions can we really say? So it's known as being a very high-level review. Okay, great. So what did they find for omega-3s? Well, they did do a review in 2018, which they then updated in 2020 because of some large trials that were finished in 2019. So they had 86 randomized controlled trials with over 160,000 participants. Most of these trials used the longer chain, so the EPA and the DHA supplementation as like capsules. Some tried to look at enriched foods or dietary just advice of eat more, you know, fish like that. Doses ranged from 0.5 grams a day to more than 5 grams a day. Their findings were, we found high certainty of evidence. They always tell you how good their quality is. We found high certainty of evidence that long chain omega-3 fats do not have important positive or negative effects on mortality or cardiovascular events and moderate certainty evidence that they have little or no effect on cardiovascular disease, mortality, stroke, or arrhythmia in primary or secondary prevention. Okay, so not that impressive so far. <laughs> yep. They go on to say they found low certainty evidence that long-chain omega-3s slightly reduce coronary heart disease mortality. These terms, just as a side note, they get confusing because we have to remember there's lots of different types of cardiovascular disease that can manifest in different ways. So now they're talking about specifically coronary heart disease mortality. There's a slight reduction of risk. This is what I also love about Cochrane. They tell you the number needed to treat. Meaning we hear about, okay, it did this thing, it reduced the risk, but what's the effect size or how clinically significant is it? We've talked about that before. Yep. You would have to treat 333 people with fish oil to get this reduction in one death. And so it's a very kind of, you have to treat a lot of people to see any effect. So that's a very small effect size. Got it. And they go on to say that that's also true for coronary heart disease events. And the, the number there is 167. As these effects are very small and the numbers needed to treat is very high, supplemental omega-3 fats are probably not useful for preventing or treating cardiovascular diseases. And then they go on to say that long-chain omega-3 fats can help reduce serum triglycerides, though they do not appear to affect body fatness or other lipid fractions. That would be like your cholesterol. Okay. 
I kind of wanted to go through all that partially because one doesn't seem like they're wildly effective. That maybe some forms of cardiovascular disease, they have this small reduction in risk, but again, we have to treat a slew of people to get there. Mm -hmm. And then people also get very down on big pharma as we've discussed. Well, what would be the number needed to treat for something like statins? That's much lower. We would have to only treat 25 people to actually see a benefit with something like statins. And so again, Mm. it's like if you're choosing, okay, which would I use for somebody? You're going to want to go with one that has a lower number needed to treat. We want to see the effect. You could think about it. You could see see the effect more quickly. They also found very similar effects looking at ALA, which is the the shorter omega-3. And so one of the lead authors, and this was after the 2018 paper, but ultimate end results were very similar, is that we can be confident in the findings of this review, which go against the popular belief that long-chain omega-3 supplements protect the heart. So pretty interesting there on omega-3 supplementation and cardiovascular disease risk. Okay, so then what about omega-6s? Okay, Cochrane also did a review on omega-6 fats, and remember, people don't like in quotes, omega-6 fats, because they're known as being in our veggie oils. So Cochrane did a review, and they were looking at what happens when people increase omega-6s in the diet, which includes LA, that's the component a lot in veggie oils, as well as arachidonic acid on cardiovascular disease and all-cause mortality. So they had 19 randomized controlled trials, over 6,000 participants, followed them from one to eight years. Okay, we found low-quality evidence that increased intake of omega-6 fats may make little or no difference to all-cause mortality. Okay, make sure we heard that. Increasing. Mm. (laughs) Increasing omega-6 fats make little or no difference to all-cause mortality. Out of all outcomes, we generally care most about all-cause mortality, all causes of dying, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because we can can survive some diseases, right? So, okay, so far, not a lot of evidence against them. Additional key outcomes. We found increased intake of omega-6 fats may reduce myocardial infarction, heart attack, where 53 people may need to increase omega-6 fat to prevent one person from experiencing that heart attack. Mm. And then increasing omega-6 fats has little or no effect on body fatness, which again makes sense. So here we have, not only does it increasing intake not seem to affect death, but it might actually reduce our risk of a heart attack, which again goes counter to the narrative that we hear that omega-6 fats are so bad. And we Mm -hmm. see this in a a bunch of trials. Now, again, Cochrane pulls them together and and looks at their quality. But omega-6 fats increasing the diet tends to actually have a positive outcome because they tend to reduce saturated fat, which again, we're going to have to get to in a saturated fat podcast. Mm -hmm. But that's probably why they're reducing heart attack risk is because they're actually pushing out saturated fats in the diet. But I also just want to point out real quick that number needed to treat. It was 53 people. So here, if we just go back, if we were to supplement with omega-3 fats, in some cases, we would need to supplement 330 plus people to see an effect. We're increasing mm-hmm. omega-6. We only have to do that with 53 people and we have a benefit. So huge, huge difference than what you're hearing necessarily in the mainstream about how good, quote, omega-3s are and how bad, quote, omega-6s are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, the next ones there, I have a couple of reviews that combine omega-3s and omega-6s together. But looking at diabetes, this, is not, was a, this was not a Cochrane review, just a typical review. It's by Brown in the show notes. They looked at 83 randomized controlled trials for omega-3 and omega-6 relative to diabetes. Quote, evidence suggests that increasing omega-3, omega-6, or total polyunsaturated fats has little or no effect on prevention and treatment of type 2 diabetes. This makes sense. You know, if diabetes is a disease of energy excess, why would increasing 
intake of fat help that or prevent it? So that one really makes sense. And then turning to cancer, this is again a combined review. They have over 40, uh, 47 randomized controlled trials, and they were looking at both omega-3 and omega-6 fats. Increasing long-chain omega-3 fats has little or no effect on cancer diagnosis, cancer death, or breast cancer diagnosis. Increasing ALA, again, that's the short-chain omega-3 fat, has little or no effect on cancer death. Increasing long-chain omega-3s and ALA may slightly increase prostate cancer risk. Okay, so that's increasing omega-3 fats might slightly increase prostate cancer risk. Now, I don't want people to go freak out about that, but again, that's kind of counter to what we hear, omega-3 is always good. Mm -hmm. And then increasing total polyunsaturated fats may slightly increase the risk of cancer diagnosis and cancer death. Some of these conclusions are hard to follow because they're really splitting this out based on whether you're diagnosed with cancer, whether you die from cancer, and then they also look at all the different types. I would say that the overwhelming evidence there is not that strong that it's doing much of anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? We might get slight increases in this type of cancer, slight decreases in this type of cancer. But again, these effect sizes are very small. One here, you know, for the effect size that total polyunsaturated fats might slightly increase your risk of cancer death, we'd have to increase totally un- total polyunsaturated fats by 500 people to see one effect. That's a very fa- small effect size. And again, mm-hmm. comparing it to kind of some of our pharmaceutical drugs, that would not be the way that we would go about trying to treat people <laughs> at all, at all. So to me, the overwhelming evidence for some of our top killers or top diseases that we have to worry about, it's underwhelming at best. And so this is why I don't recommend fish oil supplementation. I mean, it's like, how can I? Where's the evidence that this is doing much of anything? Probably last question, maybe not last question. You know, we started this this episode, this conversation around this this story. Where did that story come from? Why is it that we believe, or at least that most people believe this thing that we just spent, you know, 20 minutes kind of refuting? Where the, Any idea where that came from? Any mm-hmm. idea if anybody was incentivized to tell that story, mm-hmm. to sell that story? Well, there's always going to be the incentivized supplement companies. <laughs> yep. Yep. So finding a solution that we can bottle, will those people will be incentivized <laughs> for sure. You know, I think there there is value in thinking, okay, looking at our paleo diet, what were they doing that we can try to mimic? So there is value in looking at that. Certainly eating whole processed food, whole unprocessed foods like they did, like I continue to recommend that. So I think there's a little bit of, hey, what was different about their diet and what aren't we doing now? And I think that's where this probably started. I, I can't pinpoint it to one person, but it's probably was looking at this and then we get drilled down into the different types of fats and all of that stuff. I just think we got a little too reductionist on it. Right? It's just like looking at this one specific compound when we have to take into account how does it really exist in food? How does it exist across the whole diet and dose? And and then like, really, what are the different potential mechanisms for disease? Because it's not just single one thing. So I think it probably came out of this trying to solve the problem. There's lots of people that are trying to do good work and try to solve the problem. I don't want to say that we shouldn't test out these ideas at all. But I do think that the amount of evidence is not strong to continue to make these recommendations. And this is the other thing, you know, some studies do come out and show a positive effect, but this is why, you know, we've talked about this before. We really want to look at studies across many of them. And again, Cochrane Review is great because they really do a great job on looking at like, okay, what are, what kind of evidence do we really have in terms of quality? And would you say, you know, to somebody out there listening who kind of has a, you know, we'll just stick with fish oil because it's, mm. it's the one we kind of talk, who kind of has, you know, the diehard fish oil habit, right? It, it's, would you recommend that they just stop or is it just simply that's probably not doing anything? And so mm. it's not hurting you maybe, but it's probably not doing anything beneficial. 
Yeah, I think we're going to get into that a little bit in the in the next one. So I don't want to give Perfect. away all of the information. Perfect. But, you know, I don't recommend supplementation. Full stop yeah. <laughs> on fish oil. <laughs> so, you know, take that for what you should do. <laughs> okay, cool. And that was a good tease for the next episode. As a reminder, we're going to get into a bit of a quick bites format, at least answering some more practical questions around fish oil, around omega-3s and omega-6s. So that'll be next week. Thank you, EC. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. EC and I will be back next week for another episode of The Consistency Project. Hi all, EC here. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you as well for all the support for the five-star ratings and the reviews and for telling your friends or family about the podcast that really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all of my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. I send out emails weekly-ish <laughs> and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email and there's also a link in the show notes.